0: Welcome back to Chat with the Designers, a weekly technical discussion forum for amateur radio homebrewers and experimenters, with your hosts, George N2APB and Joe N2CX. All right, let's get started. Good evening, everybody. This is George, N2APB, co-host for tonight's session, along with Joe, N2CX. You have joined us here together on Chat with the Designers, our weekly team speak session on Tuesdays at uh, 8 p.m. local Eastern, which is 000000000000Zulu. And uh, we're really glad to have uh, such a good audience here tonight. This is great. We've got a super presentation for everybody. Well, we had a number of people feedback to us recently that antennas were a specific area of interest and whether it's feed line or grounding or different kinds of antennas or radiation patterns, you name it. Antennas seem to be something that uh, binds us together almost as much as solder does. Um, maybe doesn't burn quite as much sometimes, but uh, nonetheless, um, we uh, also had a suggestion for getting into mag loops, since some people knew that uh, Joe and I were uh, did some experimentation not too long ago on a, a new design, a bit of an approach to uh, STL, Small Transmitting Loops, and uh, we put together some good research and data, empirical, um, um, theoretical, which matched the theoretical pretty closely. We used some techniques that we talk a lot about <clears throat> um, here in our forum, in our homebrewing forum, as far as tools, measurement, uh, scientific method, and uh, construction practices and areas that we don't always uh, get a chance to exercise a lot and uh, out in the field. So that's what we're gonna be talking about tonight. And uh, as the uh, slides on the main page indicate, our main topic this evening is Magnetic Loop Cookbook. Perhaps not a novel name, or at least uh, not, not unique, uh, but it sort of says all about what we're going to be talking about here tonight. And uh, we think that you're really going to enjoy it. We have a lot of material, so we're going to get into it pretty uh, pretty quickly. You'll see on our homepage that we've started up um, a Yahoo group called C... WTD, chat with the designers. So much like the Yahoo groups that we all had, you know, belong to some 15 or 20 different groups, what we wanted to do is to create a a Yahoo group for the chat with the designer group. That is you folks. And I urge you, I encourage you to go to our homepage and just click on the the link that uh, says click here to subscribe. And uh, when you do that, when I get a chance to turn away, I'll be able to approve you for the group. And what this will do, will pull us all together such that we can have continued discussion on the topics from night, uh, from week to week, and we can post additional material pretty easily. You can post some of your own exploits and materials and photographs, much as we do in all of our other Yahoo! groups. So right now, please join the Chat with the Designer Yahoo! group, CWTD. Um at yahoodgroups.com, and uh, the, the link is there and we'll get, uh, we'll get you connected. We'll have some surprises there for the group when you join in. Okay, Joe, let's get started here. And uh, again, what we did is, uh, uh, well, Joe, why don't you kind of set the stage a little bit, take just a few minutes and set the stage for what our design goal was, what we wanted to be doing, and some of the background that we wanted to, uh, that we had to research, and do some empirical types of uh, tests and preliminary things, and how that kind of correlated into the direction that we headed relative to the theory of uh, magnetic loop uh, design. Then maybe toss it back to me for a little bit more, and then we can get into some of the uh, the first slides.
1: Okay, yeah, thank you, George. By the way, please approve me for the uh, Yahoo group. I put in my uh, request. To- join uh, about an hour or so ago Um, interesting it's a moderated group and yet the moderator has to approve you hmm one would think they might say the administrator has to approve you but I guess that's just semantics anyway um, magnetic loops small uh, transmitting loops uh, are interesting antennas they uh, they have a lot uh, seem to have a lot going for them Um, small size uh, relative simplicity and uh, uh, the promise, at least, of some uh, reasonable performance in, in a small uh, small size, something uncomplicated to build, as opposed to a big yagi on a tower or something. Um, the uh, theoretical uh, size for a, a small transmitting loop, a mag- magnetic loop, is that the circumference of it is uh, less than a tenth of a wavelength and um, we have it in the slides i I don't recall exactly but what that means is for 40 meters uh the circumference of a four and a half foot loop would be um, uh, a tenth of a wavelength for uh, 20 for 20 meters it would be about that Uh, but that's just that's just a rough figure um the Loops will work in any size. They, they have certain characteristics of having the uh, uh, low noise pickup and uh, uh, magnetic uh, transmission reception capability, um, at least in the near field, when they are less than a 10th of a wavelength. But uh, if you if you use it over a wide frequency range, you're, you're going to be uh, probably over that limit at the high end, uh, frequency-wise anyway. But we're speaking just roughly a tenth of a wavelength um they they do have some uh, some benefits and very small size reasonable simplicity but um, they they have some uh, disadvantages too because they are so physically small their radiation resistance is low we'll talk about that a little more later but basically what that means is you have to be very careful uh, to minimize losses as much as you can. Or the radiation resistance will be a small fraction of the ohmic resistance. That has to do with the size, the diameter of the uh, materials you use, uh, connections you have in there, and uh, indeed, uh, very importantly, what kind of tuning capacity you have. Tuning capacitors can be, uh, can be very critical. Um, at any rate, um, with those things in mind, we set about um, thinking about um, what we wanted to do with, uh, with the loop. Uh, now, the radiation pattern of the loop is, uh, is reasonably good. It's, it's kind of like a dipole. It's, uh, it's a donut, but uh, with the loop in the vertical plane um, at right angles to the Earth, it has a, uh, a figure eight pattern, which is uh, maximum off the ends of the loop and minimum off the, uh, the center of the loop. And uh, even at uh, low heights, uh, it has a, an omnidire- a, not an omnidirectional pattern, but it has a, a very good low angle pattern, as well as some high angle stuff uh, within its uh, uh, plane. And it's reasonably efficient. At the high end of the HF range, where you might want to uh, predominate uh, low angle radiation, and uh, not have high-angle radiation, you'd turn the thing on the side so that it was parallel to the Earth, and the donut would uh, go out horizontally in a circle around. It would be omnidirectional. Uh, But in order to get that, the antenna has to be, uh, even a loop has to be at least half a wavelength above ground. For 20 meters, that works out to be 30 feet, which is not too bad. But at 40 meters, that's uh, 66 feet. It starts to get... uh, start to get to be a pain in the butt. It's not real easy to do. And uh, if you're going along with me in the uh, in the slides here, really encourage you to do that. We uh, uh, you'll you'll get a lot more out of what we're doing. Um, the loop is very low Q because it has such low radiation resistance uh, and hopefully low uh, loss resistance. It tends to be a very high Q thing. Um, with cues on the order of a 1,000. So that means even at uh, 40 meters, it might only be, uh, with a cue of 1,000, it would be uh, 7 kilohertz wide. So you need a means of tuning it. And you need to keep it physically rigid. Otherwise, it'll be detuned by, um, by wind, by uh, temperature changes, whatever else. So you have to tune it. And uh, uh, therein lies a bit of a problem. Uh, Getting a good tuning capacitor that's low loss is not, uh, not the easiest thing in the world. You also have to match it. Um, you, can do, you, can, you can't just break the loop and put coax in there and feed it as you do with a dipole or other antennas. You have to somehow um, transform the, the impedance of the loop to 50 ohms. That can be done either with some sort of gamma match or uh, indeed what we did with our uh, design to use a uh, to use link coupling um, just for just for information's sake one of the slides shows a, a copper loop three foot diameter copper loop with half inch tubing the equivalent circuit uh, is an inductor with two and a half micro henry's inductance uh, tuned with a 52 peak capacitor capacitor uh, on 20 meters the radiation resistance is 0.065 ohms 65 milliohms, that's where the energy goes, it's being radiated, and the loss, even for a um, three-foot diameter loop, the loss is uh, .07 ohms, 70 milliohms. The Q is 810, bandwidth is uh, 17 kilohertz. And an interesting thing, even with this low power at five watts, the capacitor voltage is 943 volts. So it is indeed a high-Q-tuned circuit. Um, And there are design equations. We list them on one of the pages for the uh, radiation resistance, loss resistance efficiency, in terms of the physical structure there. And uh, it makes your eyes go buggy. And uh, just to emphasize that point, we have a picture of uh, a a gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment who's going cross-eyed. And that's what you'll do if you... uh, Go through the uh, those equations much. However, there are a couple calculators on the web. There's one by uh, uh, AA5TB has a uh, an Excel spreadsheet calculator that's very good to automate the design process. So you can do a number of YFs using that to plug in the uh, the diameter loop you want to use, the type of material, be it aluminum or copper, uh, the uh, uh, that is type of material also the diameter of uh, what you want to do and you can see for a given frequency and size what the efficiency the q and the bandwidth is going to be very easy way to do some uh, what if uh, Yeah, Marty Feldman is the guy somebody popped up on the uh, info sheet thank you Armand um, anyway using uh, a spreadsheet like that you can very quick very quickly run through a number of calculations and uh, it's uh, quite ducky to use that spreadsheet. And AA5TB, whose name is Steve Yates, uh, encourages you to use his uh, spreadsheet just, uh, just give him attribution. We used it quite a bit trying to do the initial groundwork just to get, uh, get some ideas about what's, uh, what's what with the loop. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to leave it uh, with one last slide. That, uh, is kind of interesting using the uh, the loop they using that spreadsheet for a, a three-foot loop at uh, 40 meters uh, you can crank in various diameters of tubing starting with half an inch diameter um, the bandwidth uh, is uh, 22 kilohertz the efficiency is 48% you go up to an inch diameter tubing copper tubing Bandwidth um, decreases because it's higher Q. It's more efficient. It's about 65%. And if you go up to a 4-inch diameter tubing, which in copper is getting very expensive and very heavy, um, you go up to an 88% efficiency and a bandwidth of uh, 19.3 kilohertz. Now, it may seem that that's kind of contradictory because as you're getting less lossy, the uh, the bandwidth is uh, is not decreasing at every step along the way but one of the one of the reasons you use a spreadsheet uh, so you don't uh, get into uh, metal conundrums like this is because it takes care of all the computations and if you look at all the data you'll see that as the diameter of the tubing goes up the loss goes down but the inductance goes down also so um, there's a point of diminishing returns where you don't uh, you don't lose bandwidth as you uh, increase efficiency, but uh, getting a four-inch copper tubing and being able to afford it is uh, is rather uh, rather tough. Uh, why don't I throw it back to George, and he can talk about some uh, less boring details?
0: Oh, I don't know about bo- less boring, Joe. This is uh, this is fascinating stuff. If anybody is. Kind of studied the subject at all. Uh, there's a little bit of mystery. There's a little bit of uh, seemingly uh, an art in putting together any kind of an antenna at any time. But just the fact that you can put together a three-foot diameter um, loop and be able to experience some of the characteristics that you described here, and indeed. I think many of us have had a chance to do that and, and hear the results on the radio is just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. It's one of those things that you, you really have to hear it in order to believe it. Now, I've talked about that particular kind of uh, fact before when I was uh, uh, extolling the virtues of binaural audio. Binaural audio is just an amazing amazing uh, audio quality and audio uh, characteristic that you, you have to hear it in order to believe it. Well, this one here with the loop is, uh, the results are amazing. If you consider, and if you haven't um, if you haven't really studied the magnet loop and you're, you're kind of listening here tonight live or you're listening on the podcast because you wanted to hear a little bit more about loop antennas, one of the characteristics, one of the important characteristics that Joe has mentioned from several different angles is the very narrow bandwidth of um, of the antenna, and the very high Q, the very narrow bandwidth results in just a very selective um, set of frequencies that are coming down to your radio. It's like having a filter, a super filter on your antenna that's uh, able to knock out adjacent channel noise and other. Types of interference and other types of signals on the spectrum, such that only a very narrow—whether it's 17 uh, kilohertz or—I think Joe and I were able to achieve 30 kilohertz—in uh, some of our measurements. But only that narrow segment comes down to your antenna, uh, to your uh, to your radio, and uh, the results are, are are simply flooring. You could go into a crowded band. Um, can't take a picture picture of your worst case. <laughs> Maybe your worst-case nightmare might be your best-case nightmare of a uh, um, of a um, contest weekend, and it's a big pileup. And CW let's make it even worse case. Uh, CW where just a lot of lot of stations can be crammed in there, and you can flip back. This is the scenario I'm asking you to kind of consider. You can flip back and forth between your um, a dipole and a loop tuned for a given frequency, uh, you know, on the same band. And the results that you will hear will just be amazing because with such a narrow bandwidth, you're knocking out adjacent channels uh, by using the loop, and the signal-to-noise ratio goes way, way, way up, and you're able to copy things that you thought uh, you wouldn't be able to because there's not as much interference there. Now, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. I can't pronounce that acronym, TASAVANL or something like that. But the, uh, the free lunch, uh, the, the no free lunch on this part, of course, is that you need to be able to tune that uh, loop antenna with the narrow bandwidth um, very, very carefully. And uh, uh, it's got to be frequency agile, as they say. In other words, you've got to be able to move that dip, that, uh, that resonant dip, if you think of like SWR, because we'll show those plots later on in the, in the slide deck that uh, you move that resonant dip right or left, up or down, uh, in frequency in order to tune around. And there's a challenge in doing that, of course, because usually the tuning mechanism for an antenna is one knob, maybe on one particular kind of uh, uh, control box. And, of course, when you move frequency with your radio, I'm sitting here looking at my... uh, at my uh, SDR cube, sitting right next to the K2, sitting right next to the uh, uh, the DX40, whatever um, whatever radio that you're using, you got to turn the transmitter. You got to you got to turn the trans uh, radio, the radio's uh, frequency control, kind of in tune, as it were, with the tuning of your bandwidth on the uh, um, on the on the loop antenna. You don't want to be receiving on one frequency and have the loop tuned, you know, some 50 to 100 kilohertz away. Because what you're hearing is uh, not going to be coming through all the way in the best form to the radio. So therein, I think that whole swath of the first five minutes of discussion here between Joe and me, we've sort of set the stage for what we consider the challenges for the, you know, uh, the challenges in front of us in order to get a radio system. Then the system is an antenna with very narrow bandwidth sending signals down to a transceiver that is uh, sort of locked in on that same frequency such that when you tune around, you're tuning both the antenna and the the radio's frequency control such that you can hear things uh, well. And then when you couple that with um, the major high level design, um, equation, if you will, I'm I'm not sure how much of an equation is, but, uh, if you want to say good, good antenna equals or a good loop antenna equals efficiency plus Q plus, um, bandwidth, not a great equation, but nonetheless, those three factors, efficiency, Q and bandwidth. Um, are all interrelated, and that's another where area where the no free lunch comes in, how you balance the different characteristics that uh, Joe mentioned in those equations on the slide uh, a couple of times ago here, and uh, how you choose the surface area of the radiator, how you connect your radiator, um, uh, the, the metal of your radiator, the loop, to the capacitor, the tuning mechanism, and how you connect that to your antenna feeder, um, all of that needs to be done in an efficient manner such that you would be able to really um, maximize the efficiency because when you face it, this is a small antenna, another area, another axiom that uh, that we hams know pretty well sometimes we we don 't acknowledge it but the smaller the antenna, the poorer the performance. That's that's a that's a blunt way of saying it, um, and such is the case here with the loop antenna. Unless you're really careful, and even if you're careful to the nth degree, I mean, the best you can get is um, I don't know what the efficient the best effic- efficiencies can be achieved here, Joe, that we saw even, but it's not that great. I mean, you will do efficiency wise a lot better with a standard wire dipole, but uh, You wouldn't have some of the benefits that we're talking about here. Just as an aside, um, all of the design tools, um, the calculators, we have some great reference uh, books. Of course, the classic one by Ted uh, uh, Shucks. Joe, what's the name of uh, uh, the real cookbook uh, author? Ted Hart. Ted Hart. So you've got his uh, book referenced at the end here. So check out, per usual, all of our references that we provide. We normally put together a pretty good bibliography for anybody who wants to take this material and kind of expand on it and go in your own direction, which we heartily encourage. And uh, check that out because this it kind of pulls together the discussion elements that we're, that we're referencing here. Um, when when we get a little bit more downstream, we're going to mention the uh, that... Uh, we're going to launch off of my, the point where I said coupling the, the tuning of the antenna, the loop antenna to the tuning of the radio. And there's a technique that we, um, that we designed and built and proved out, um, quite well. And to our knowledge, there's only maybe one or two other approaches. Um, one not too similar, but, um, a way of coupling, um, Automatic control of um, frequency of a radio to the frequency of the loop was published in QST, I believe, or maybe it was QEX. But regardless, we used SDR uh, SDR techniques with a soft rock, and uh, uh, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But that was some of the uh, the, the fruits of our labor here in, in this in this effort. So why don't we get into the actual construction, Joe, and the approach? that we took for maximizing, uh, what do they say, accentuating the positives and uh, kind of minimizing the negatives and we'll uh, be able to see what the mechanical look of our antenna was.
1: Very good. Thank you for uh, for the overall material giving uh, a better, better focus on what we're trying to do and and uh, the end goals. I get concentrating uh, too much on the theory and down in the nitty gritty. It's good to have an overview to to give a good uh, picture of what's happening. Uh, one slight aside, and, and I'm not going to go into an, in depth, but there uh, there was some controversy about the efficiency of the antenna. Um, a Brit G3LHZ, uh, Professor Mike Underhill. Um, challenged the established uh, uh, theory about uh, loops and their efficiency, and claimed that um, they actually work far better than uh, theory would predict. Well, um, there's a Canadian, John Belrose, VE2CV, who is an antenna expert, who has both the theoretical tools and uh, the ability to do very accurate antenna measurements. Um, He debunked Professor Underhill's uh, uh, claims of of, uh, efficiency and gave uh, both theoretical and some good uh, uh, measurements to uphold the uh, traditional uh, theory and uh, performance of loop antennas, which is not to say that they're bad. But um, uh, you'd go just a little bit astray in your thinking about them and and think that they're much better than they are. we have some, uh, there are references to to the uh, papers by both the gentlemen in the reference section at the end. Uh, those of you who are interested in uh, loops and their backgrounds might be interested in it. What we were trying to do was to optimize the efficiency and the effectiveness of the antenna. And uh, what we decided to try, rather than working with a loop or working with a, um, um, yeah, a tube working with tubing was. We thought we'd try a big flat inductor, a big flat conductor. Now uh, copper's heavy, copper's expensive, and aluminum is uh, not quite as efficient, but it's a whale lot lighter and it's a lot cheaper. We found uh, um, copper flashing that is uh, used in construction at uh, the local um, hardware megastore, Home Depot or Lowe's. Um, you can get a big roll of uh, um, 50, feet, fifty feet of it for something like thirty dollars, so it's very attractive uh, as a material to use instead of a, a instead of tubing, um, at least from a theoretical point of view. Um, and using something like that, uh, you don't need any joints to connect the pieces together. Um, we estimated. I think we used eight-inch flashing. I, I don't have a piece of it handy, but uh, we estimated that uh, uh, without without theoretical background, but just going by the surface area of the aluminum and the fact that uh, both sides of the the uh, flat material would be conductive, um, we estimated that this um, this this uh, flat metal would have an estimated loss approximately equal to the uh, three-foot tubing, so that um, it's a lot easier to uh, uh, come by and uh, has a similar loss. Um, some will say that uh, there are some end effects, current crowding, at the edges of flat material, but there's a reference in the uh, stuff at the end uh, where someone has done some uh, some work uh Trying to say that it's not all that bad, and you don't lose that much from uh, from current crowding at the edges of flat material. Um, to complete the picture, what we did um, to come up with a the means of both coming up with a uh, a tuning capacitor that uh, would have enough capacitance to tune the darn thing, and uh, to have high enough voltage, and to um, eliminate the uh, problems of mechanical connection to a, a separate capacitor and uh, the, the attendant problems of, of uh, having multiple plates and having all the uh, physical joints of them and uh, some sort of rotor as with an ordinary capacitor, what we decided to do was to overlap the two ends of the loop, the flat conductors, space them next to each other with a dielectric material, a uh, high voltage uh uh tolerant uh dielectric material in there and to tune it by uh adjusting the spacing between these two plates uh so that when they're when the plates are close together the uh someone Mr. trying to break George. me? Go ahead George I'm
0: sorry for the interruption Joe I just wanted to point uh viewers to slide forty five is way back in the deck as a support slide. But that that slide probably is best physically showing, or graphically showing, what you're talking about as far as the uh, the flashing going around a loop, and then the ends are overlapping. Go ahead, Joe.
1: Okay, thank you. Yeah, picture is good. I, uh, I didn't have the flexibility to go flipping through and, and look for it. Uh, anyway, the point was that you could vary the uh, spacing between the plates uh, to uh, to do the tuning. And um, when the plates are close together, there's a sheet of Teflon, which is relatively inexpensive in small pieces between them so that uh, you get the effect of uh, higher dielectric constant so that uh, you can get a high, relatively high capacitance in a small area. There are formulas for it in, in our uh, slide package. And then as you spread it apart, um, the um, high dielectric uh, plastic material becomes less effective, so that you end up with uh, pred- predominantly air dielectric, so that you get a wide uh, uh, tuning capacitance, min to max range, to get a wide uh, uh, tuning uh, tuning range for the loop, and it's uh, it's about as efficient as you're going to get, because the losses in the dielectrics material are very small. Uh, the whole thing is one continuous conductor, so that you don't have any joints to worry about. Uh, and the, uh, the entire losses are ohmic losses, which are just a, um, a factor of the uh, type of material. Uh, and it's thick enough being, uh, I think it was something like uh, 10 or 20 mils. It's thick enough that uh, skin effect says that uh, all, the, all the conduction is at the outside edges of, or the outside of the uh, material so that uh, even the thickness is not a problem. So it's uh, maybe mechanically difficult, but uh, it's uh, it's um, about as efficient as you're going to get for a simple loop. And um, there are practical considerations. Rick uh, put uh, dropped the note out. What happens when it rains? Well, that's another issue, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Let me see if there's anything more to talk about with... Uh... Yeah, well, there's... There's a uh, slide here. Just a sec, Jim. There's a slide here that uh, shows the Jim WNMFMR. Are you uh, are you using push to talk or do you have your Vox on? Because you're uh, you keep blipping me here.
0: You no, know, I'm brand new at this, uh Joe. <laughs> Can you hear okay. me? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we hear you fine. Are you using push to talk? No. Well, we encourage Bush to talk, because oh, okay. if you don't, it feeds back to me all the time, and it's rather annoying when you're trying to talk.
0: Okay, I'll see if I can find out how to do it. Thank you.
1: Okay, okay. no problem. Anyway, I just wanted to finish up with the uh, the discussion of the, uh, the tubing, or the, uh, the flat material. There is a slide that shows... Uh, I don't see what number it is, but there's a slide that shows... The A5TB spreadsheet for um, three-inch diameter tubing, and uh, we use that as uh, kind of the goal for the performance of uh, of our uh, of our loop antenna. Um, George, um, why don't we go to uh, some of the uh, uh, tuning and uh, the SDR aspects that uh, are another very important aspect, another very important part of this loop? Uh, go ahead.
0: All right Joe good enough um, Jim I muted I muted your mic locally here since I am the admin for this Just give us a text message when you've got to kind of figured out how to do your PTT and your client there and uh, we'll activate you again okay Joe good um, good overview on the construction and as you can see from those slides uh, 44 45 and forty six. I think it was, uh, it was it was really kind of interesting. Joe found some of that good insulating uh, material that we formed essentially two hula hoops, connected, interconnected them with some um, some other uh, pieces of material to give it some strength, and we wrapped the uh, then we wrapped the loop uh, the, the flat material all around the loop there, and it uh, kind of all bound it all together, nice and uh, tight but maybe not tight enough as you'll see downstream. Okay, now back on slide 14. If you wanted to go to slide 14, um you want to you want to yeah. see what we did there relative to George. Yes.
1: I don't see slide numbers on the package from from uh, the from the uh, website. So your slide reference numbers uh, are not all that useful.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought it was a PDF, and in a PDF viewer, I thought that it might show what the uh, slide number was. Well, it's the 14th slide, if you wanted to count forward, and uh, it's, a ti- it's a slide that's entitled The Midnight Loop, and it shows a system view. It's a, the green crossbar that holds up the loop with some wires that go over to an SDR type of radio system and that's uh that's what we're doing. Yeah, so the PDF, if you have the PDF, you know, look on the upper bar or lower bar and it'll say the slide number that you're on and that's slide fourteen. Alrighty. So what we did and and what we did was we put together a system that essentially and this is the high level view, it connected the um it connected the tuning of the transceiver, which in this case was an FT817, to the tuning mechanism of the midlight loop. Now, recall what Joe was saying that the, tu- the midlight loop, the, the loop antenna itself, was tuned by means of a stepper motor that either brought closer together or separated farther apart those two overlapping end flaps of the 10 uh, inch aluminum uh, flashing and they were kind of held rigid so you know it's almost like a duck bill that was either opening up wide or closing down narrow and of course that changed the freq- uh, the, the capacitance and which changed the resonant frequency of the loop and we did a, a great deal of experiments to find out what the extremes were where we wanted the settings for one tuning point versus the, the min tuning point in the band versus the maximum tuning point of the band. And we used 14 megahertz, 20 meters, as our uh, band of interest uh, for, for the antenna. And although the band, the antenna itself could go across uh, several bands. Now, understanding that uh, there is there is a pick in the center, pretty much the center of the, of the diagram, and uh, you'll see that that PIC controller does two things, mostly. It controls the stepper motor of the loop uh, and uh, capacitor. Hence, it controls the frequency at which the loop is uh, resonant. And that that wire goes off to the left, up to the stepper motor. It's labeled up and down drive. The, um, another wire coming off to the right of the PIC goes over to the transceiver. Um, And that line is labeled CAT, Computer Automated Transmitter Controller, whatever CAT stands for, I've forgotten at the moment. But it instructs the transceiver to uh, change frequency as well. And um, in a nutshell, what we're doing is that we, the the PIC, the software in the PIC, uh, instructs the transceiver to send a low-level signal through that attenuator, and we're we're transmitting the signal through and um, by the the loop antenna, and then off in a, a separate little soft uh, soft rock receiver only box, and that's where you see the antenna off to the right hand side, the RF sampling antenna. We've got a sample of that RF energy coming in and showing up on a spectrum display. Um, it's a it happened to be on a new the the NUE PSK. Um, Box which happens to be nice and convenient spectrum display without a stinking computer screen, of course. So, uh, but you could use a computer screen with your normal little soft rock there and get that same kind of spectrum display. Essentially, that shows a spike, a major spike where the transmitted signal is within the spectrum that's being viewed on the new PSK or on your on your wider bandwidth uh, uh, spectroscope, rocky or or whatever that might be. So now we've got the signal that feeds back from the spectrograph back to the pick, and now we've completed the loop. So the pick is instructing the transceiver to send a signal. The signal is being generated and goes up out of the loop. It is being picked up by the RF sampling antenna, which by the way physically is located right inside the loop. It's thrown separate here but it's all a compact assembly. And the uh, the antenna was inside the uh, inside the loop and then that signal that the loop is transmitting on gets shown in the display of the spectrograph and there is electronics that scans that spectrograph and determines the frequency at which that major spike is occurring. So the PIC knows what frequency the transceiver is being commanded on to transmit on, it knows the frequency that the major blip is coming in on a spectrograph, and, and it is able to tune the midnight loop to maximize that signal. So it's a feedback loop kind of thing, and once you get directions established of uh, uh, where you're tun- tuning the transceiver, um, uh, wherever you tune the transceiver, and then the pick knows what that is, and it all kind of completes the loop so in a nutshell what we're doing is creating a feedback loop that is able to determine where the loop is transmitting relative to where the transceiver setting is and then it changes the loop in order to match the transceiver setting so that uh that's the overall system it's maybe easier to de- maybe easier to describe but certainly a lot harder to implement and that's ultimately what uh Um, the other half of the project was. The the first half of the project, as we described, was actually constructing an efficient um, loop based on the parameters that Joe's outlined for uh, whatever makes uh, efficiency, maximizing surface area, minimizing um, resistance of the joints, and of course we used a, a very good way to have a zero loss, a zero loss capacitor, um, by means of having the folded ends and being able to control their separation programmatically. And then the second half of the equation was how do you control that? And uh, ultimately, that's uh, that's the way that went together. Joe, did that make sense? Uh, I, I might have kind of wobbled around a little bit, but I think that was the main point uh, uh, of that system that we had.
1: No, I think uh, I think that uh, gave the picture. Um, it's, it's a little it may be a little mind-boggling to try to uh, uh, conceive of something like that, but it's a, it's a very handy thing to have um, a loop that's able to tune itself rather than you having to sit there and, and uh, watch signals go whizzing by and overshoot and uh, try to do it manually. It's it's always nice to have something automatic to take
0: the human out of the loop. Yeah, and um... Why, um, why don't we just pause right here if there are any questions? We, we're next going to get into field measurements. I think this is another fascinating area of the whole project uh, where we really start implementing some of the techniques that we use in a smaller scale on the bench, but out in the field, in a wide area of field that we struggled to find. Um, implementing some of those techniques was, was, was kind of fun. We were running back and forth between antennas and running through cornfields in the blizzard uh, that came up at the last minute, and you'll notice from some of the pictures that this was in the dead of winter that we were doing this, or at least uh, the later part of winter uh, leading into spring. So we had some uh, some weather challenges, <clears throat> but it was, uh, it was a test of our metal, as it were. So any questions on what we have now before we get into the measurement phase of the, uh, the presentation? Yeah, Ellen, go ahead.
2: Okay, I wasn't sure if my uh, my ping was uh, seen there. Uh, I guess the question I have is um, about the the feed point. Uh, I, I I joined a little bit late. I'm not sure if you covered this uh, earlier on, but you know, you know, I, I see how you've constructed the capacitor. Is just uh, extensions of the uh, the pair of the flat loop. But I'm curious about how the, you couple the feed line into the loop. Um, you know, kind of the schematic later on kind of shows a uh, another smaller loop. I don't know if it's you're just inductively coupling into the main loop or, or what the details are there. Yeah, that's a
0: standard technique. Joe, why don't you review that uh, one of two methods for coupling uh, antennas, and one is the gamma method, and the other one is what we did.
1: Yeah, sorry about that. We did we really did gl- gloss over that in the uh presentation here. Yes, it is indeed an inductive loop. Um, uh, one of the methods of, of um, getting the match with magnetic loops is to have a, uh, an interior loop uh, at the center away from the tuning cap so that it's symmetrical um, that is approximately a quarter of the diameter of the main loop and that gives you pretty close to a 50-ohm match so it is just an inductive coupling loop. And we fiddled with the, um, the size until, uh, at resonance, we got uh, very close to one-to-one resonance, at least um, at least under lab conditions. When we get into the uh, testing, we'll talk about some of the real-world constraints of uh, high-Q antennas. Does that answer your question, is- Alan?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I'll look back at the photos because I'm not sure I saw that loop in the photos itself. I did see it in the schematic, but uh, very interesting. Thank you.
1: Sure. Yeah. We. I, I should have uh, should have mentioned that up front a little more prominently, but uh, that just kind of fell out in the wash. That was one of the easier things to do. Uh, go ahead, George.
2: Okay. There's another. There's another uh, thing that you brought up. Since you brought up uh, Mike uh, LHZ, hang on and that is that uh, Mike had uh, come up with a a scheme to uh, feed a loop, uh, something that I tried uh, using, if you can follow my description here, a piece of wire that was wrapped around the tubing of the loop itself, or in my case, the flat uh, flashing of the loop itself, Just, just spiraled it around a few turns and then attached the free end to some point on the loop. And you could adjust this in uh, any way you want to get the SWR down and the match working and so forth. It works pretty well. Uh, it's not frequency agile, but neither is the loop that uh, is traditionally used, as you guys did. But uh, it just it's something something to play with and something that was uh, very obviously just a piece of wire, very simple to uh, uh, set up.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Pete. Yes, indeed. Uh... I, I was not real thrilled with that. I, I did something and, and tried that. Um, and and it, it is actually a combination of uh, magnetic and capacitive coupling so that there is a little more freedom in trying to get a good match. Um, what I found was that unfortunately it uh, tends to unbalance the loop a bit and to uh, make it uh, more of a, um, uh, less of a balanced structure so that uh, it responds to uh, nearby electrostatic noise a little bit more than the uh, magnetic coupling does, uh, which was why we set on the, uh, on the, uh, the balanced uh, loop, uh, symmetrically spaced, so that we didn't unbalance the loop itself. Um, have you found any noise pickup things from that uh, uh, experience from that, Pete?
2: Uh, no, not really, nothing, nothing special on, on noise. It seemed to work okay. Uh, I I don't think it unbalances the loop any more than a gamma match does. For noise, uh, I tried a uh, ferrite-based transformer. It was actually a commercial transformer that I found in a surplus store some years back, a lot of years back. And uh, for uh, receiving loop, particularly on the broadcast band, uh, that worked by far the best as far as noise goes.
1: Yeah, I I have had some experience uh, commercially... uh worked uh, worked in the aerospace industry Uh, we installed a um, an lf uh, uh, communication system for the air force we're using received magnetic loops and uh, particularly when you get down to uh, the hundreds of kilohertz uh, noise pickup is paramount and you really do need balanced antennas okay any other uh, questions or comments
0: righty, let's go on to uh slide twenty two which is uh, comparative field measurements All Actually, right. comp- yes.
1: yes George uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, we're stepping on each other. What I found was I am looking at the uh the uh material on a web page with uh one of microsquish's um excellent browsers. And while it doesn't give you the page number, if you move your cursor onto the page and off of it, it pops up with the page number.
0: All righty, there you go. So there's a way to find out where slide 22 is. And uh, it's actually called comparative field testing. As I sort of indicated, um, and we'll start to move it along here. We're running short on time as I would like to discuss results. Um, the the it, field testing is not often... Performed in a very rigorous way in our in our ham uh, community, well, mostly because we don't have the either the space or the right kind of equipment. So Joe and I took an oppor- took an opportunity here to really try to find a good location out free of uh, interfering objects, whether they be trees or fences or houses, of course. And uh, long story short, we. Uh, we ended up in the backyard, that in a very good, well-oriented uh, position for the purposes of the test. The diagram shows where we wanted to have a separation of a uh, hundred feet between the loop under test and the receive antenna. It was a whip, and then a hundred feet all around the, um, the each antenna. So, um, you know, we found a spot and were able to kind of uh, construct our antennas there and I think uh, we both ended up running back and forth between that each antenna of the hundred feet uh, m- numerous times in order to try you know adjusting the, the antenna uh, under test its orientation its uh, tuning and the transmitter power going through it and then also on the receive side using a uh, some equipment in order to measure the received signal. Joe, do you want to kind of just review quickly the the test set up there as far as how we measured the signals and uh, what results uh, showed us there? Sure. <clears throat>
1: yeah, what we did, is, as George said, we tried to have a, um, a smooth area free of uh, any conductive or absorptive materials that would uh, interfere with uh, the path between the um, a transmit antenna and a receive antenna we used our our loop um, as a transmit antenna we fed it with a uh, ft817 um, and a, uh, a power meter to measure the power going into the loop and then at the other end of the uh, the path we had a, uh, a vertical antenna with a ground plane to it it was actually tuned to be resonant on uh, 14 megahertz on the uh, receive frequency and uh, we found that we got enough signal over that path to be able to measure, be measured on a um, uh, digital power meter. Uh, it turns out it was the KA-70XM uh, digital power meter that um, we've mentioned in other broadcasts here. That was very good. We, we got a uh, very good signal-to-noise ratio, and we were able to um, establish that uh, there were no other We had, um, I forget what the numbers were, but at least a 40 dB uh, signal-to-noise ratio um, from no signal to uh, the signal from the loop. So what we did was um, we used the MFJ loop tuned to the appropriate frequency as uh, kind of a standard antenna. We fed approximately four-tenths of a watt into it and uh, aimed it end-on toward the receive loop Measured the signal at the far end, and then to be sure that we weren't um, we weren't radiating in the feed line of the loop, we rotated the loop 90 degrees, which should give us a null, and we noticed about a 20 dB null, which said that um, if the feed line was radiating, uh, it was uh, 20 dB below um, the the uh, signal in the mac- signal maximum, so that um, indeed we had a valid test going. Uh, any feed line radiation wasn't hurting us. We also rotated the loop 90 degrees in the other direction um, so that uh, we measured both sides of the loop to assure ourselves that it was uh, symmetrical. Okay, that worked reasonably well with the MFJ loop. We mounted it on a stand. It was about, uh, um, bottom was about three feet above the ground. And then we put the, uh, put the midnight loop in. And uh, we had the devil's own problem trying to keep it tuned. Um, It uh, Obviously, with the capacitor plates um, just being spaced apart by air and some dielectric, uh, it wouldn't work very well in rain. Uh, That would short and really detune the antenna. We found also, unfortunately, that just moving the loop a little bit uh, in trying to rotate it and with wind... Uh, with the wind trying to rotate it and bend it, the IQ of the antenna really, really did us in as far as detuning. So what we had to do was to lash the antenna down in position, and even so, there was a little, little bit of bending from the, uh, from the winds that tended to detune the IQ structure. But uh, we did the the same test. We measured the um, signal at the far end with the uh, antenna end on to get the maximum. Uh, oriented one way. We rotated 90 degrees to be sure that we got a, a good null, and then we rotated another 90 degrees to get to the other side of the pattern. There was a little asymmetry, but uh, to make a long story short, um, though we had some problems with the power uh, from the transmitter and resolution of our uh, transmitter power meter, uh ended up that uh, the, um, the midnight loop was at least a dB better than the uh, Um, than the MFJ loop, which uh, tended to validate uh, more or less what we were trying to get, uh, the performance we were trying to get from this loop. But it also, um, this test condition, this testing under adverse conditions proved to us uh, pretty much without any doubt at all that uh, this midnight loop is not an outside loop. Um, It's now in my attic, and uh, it works quite well there. Uh, because I don't have any winds, I don't have any uh, earthquakes or anything bending it, and I don't have any rain to short the capacitor out. So while the loop is a success, technically it works quite well. Um, it's a general-purpose loop that you'd want to take to the field, try to use, but it's an ex- excellent loop to uh, to use indoors.
0: Yep, that was the, indeed the case, Joe. And, um, I'll next mention some of the measurements we took as far as SWR and the resonant frequencies and so on. But during those measurements, um, I I was pretty much doing those, um, here by myself up on a high deck that I've got in the backyard. And, uh, I had it on a pole and it happened to be a relatively light wind. And you'll see by some of the jitteriness, the jitter in the measurements of the, uh, the SWR plots, that even a slight wind is would have a tendency to torque, and I'm kind of using my, at least my one hand, here to indicate how the antenna was torquing despite the kind of dual hula hoop, reinforced, laddered together, and then bolted. And there were screws every 10 inches holding it into the plastic hula hoop material, um, But even with all of that, it still had a tendency to kind of torque, kind of like uh, you would envision a Mobius strip um, in your mind, kind of uh, torquing and twisting when the wind was there. After all, the the flashing was a good wind foil or airfoil when the wind was coming along. And even though the flaps of the uh, capacitor, the overlapping portions of the flashing that was used as a capacitor, were stiffened with some poly-whatever. And uh, that was so we could actually control the separations with stepper motor pretty well. Even those who kind of, um, on a third axis, kind of change in in, uh, spacing angularly. And thus, of course, the capacitance, and thus, of course, the frequency. Now, when we went to do the measurements of of SWR, we used uh, the um, the micro 908 and um, some of you know what the micro 908 is it's a programmable it's a very unique programmable uh, homebrew antenna analyzer again that uh, Joe and I designed some time ago. and it has an ability to output its data during the scan. So what we did is we collected the data from the scans um for example from thirteen point eight megahertz up to fourteen point five. So we covered the forty meter ba- or the twenty meter band uh pretty carefully and then we also zoomed in on, on the uh on the resonant point to get some good clarity to that. We our measurements uh compared the MFJ loop to the uh the midnight loop our design and um the midnight uh, the MFJ loop showed probably A better, uh, um, a better resonant and a a more narrow or a higher Q, at least what we think was a higher Q, and uh, you can see this in slide twenty-five, where you've got the Link nine hundred eight plot, and the red graph, of course, the red plot is the SWR, and I show the bandwidth, the apparent bandwidth that. uh, is that the SWR equal to three points on the curve? So wherever SWR of three is on that, that curve, the separation there is an estimate of the actual bandwidth. So in slide, uh, on slide on slide twenty five, we see a bandwidth of thirty kilohertz, and that's how we characterize that that particular uh, um, that antenna. Going over to the midnight loop. We see a bandwidth of about 50 kilohertz, so it's a wider bandwidth. In other words, not quite as high of a Q. Um, we see a, um, an equally pronounced, if not more pronounced, dip, and uh, uh, which is always a good news, a good sign. And um, its performance was uh, uh, rather as expected, I would think. And then later on in uh, slide 27, we see an interesting characteristic <clears throat> that I attribute to the moving of the uh, antenna. In other words, and this is come back, comes back to the point that I made at the very start about how narrow a signal is, how, how narrow the bandwidth is, and how few signals are able to be heard in that bandwidth. If you flip that coin over, and you think about if you 've got a varying signal within a narrow bandwidth, the apparent signal is going to come into and go out of or go higher and lower uh, that fixed bandwidth, or if you want to look at it the other way around yet, if you turn if you change the position of that bandwidth, if you tune the frequency of the loop across that signal uh, that constant signal, which by the way the uh, the Micro 90, 908 Antenna Analyzer has a fixed signal and the loop is presenting a changing, because it's varying in the wind, it's presented a changing frequency and tune tuning frequency and bandwidth. So the, the dip uh, that's shown in slide 27 is not quite as pronounced, in fact it only goes down to about SWR of 4, but extrapolated downward through some of the noise in that same measurement Uh, instance, we were able to extrapolate down to an SWR of 1 such that if the antenna were not moving in the wind and if it were held steady and more solid, a bandwidth of 10 kilohertz at the SWR of 3 point, a bandwidth of 10 kilohertz is extrapolated to be in the case for the antenna that we designed, which is just outstanding performance and and certainly again, uh, beats the MFJ. So the results that we got from the gain and the uh, the side to side uh, null showed that the our design actually had a better or higher gain and then these tests here indicated that under ideal conditions, and I underscore that very carefully, under ideal conditions of a solid rigid antenna we were able to achieve um, or projected 10 kilohertz of bandwidth and uh, Actually, it says 20 kilohertz. Uh, My apologies, it's 20 kilohertz. It's 10 kilohertz was our step size. So it was still significantly less. It was half of what the uh, MFJ loop was able to show. So I think this is kind of like the uh, icing on the cake as far as we were concerned. If we were to be taking this antenna another step and um, it would be toward the area of making it more rigid, but amplifying on the... uh, the characteristics that we, we chose to settle on as far as the, the design focus, and that was maximizing the surface area, minimizing the connection resistance, and um, overall, you know, using those uh, good design practices to produce an efficient antenna. And um, if anybody among us here or elsewhere were to take this the next step, uh, we would heartily encourage that, and then maybe use these results as a launching point for taking it uh, uh, one step further from a rigid standpoint or maybe even a tuning standpoint. Even uh, in the year and a half or so that we've done this, uh, since this uh, project was done, uh, both Joe and I have increased our, let's call it our awareness and and uh, capabilities within SDR that would enable us to take the tuning a little bit further yet as well and have a more precise and accurate or uh, tighter loop that would a a tighter a tighter, uh, a tighter uh, control of the system that would give us more uh, uh, a more responsive and a, and a better controlled tuning between the radio and the, and the loop Joe more conclusions uh, that um, that um, that we haven't mentioned. I think you've pretty much covered it, uh,
1: George. Yeah, you know, we were quite pleased with the way it performed, although, unfortunately, uh, uh, as we say, there were some disadvantages in practicality. Um, it was a it was a lesson in um, <laughs> trying to tie the theory and and some construction together and to come up with uh, a prediction of uh, what we could do and we think we met the prediction pretty well um, as an aside i can remember probably back five years or, or more ago i saw a closed form expression a closed form uh, treatment of um, a mathematical description of a, um, a a round loop composed of a flat conductor uh, and for the life of me I cannot find that. Um, I would really like to have some uh, a good mathematical treatment of it uh, so that I can predict what the inductance was or what the inductance should be and that would really close the loop for me to uh, to give me a good warm fuzzy that uh, indeed the measured uh, measured bandwidth being as high as it is and the uh, efficiency that fell out of the uh, Comparative uh, measurements so that um, I get a good feeling that uh, indeed we were on the right track Um, (laughs) I certainly hope that uh, you folks have enjoyed our our little treatment here. We're kind of uh, Revealing I don't know some of our I won't say dirty underwear, but some of the real nitty-gritty stuff that uh, uh, You've run into when you try to uh, Try to improve something and do some very very careful measurements um, you never quite know what's going to tune up, but uh, it's always fun uh, Final thoughts George
0: no I think you hit the nail on the head there Joe that what well, we uh, we're, we're not we're not I don't think we're self diluting too much and we're certainly uh, showing the both with our with our report here we're showing both the pluses and the and the minuses of the of the given approach I don't think this this project can go forward from a standpoint of productization on a, on a wide scale, but it would really be a a great project for somebody to experiment in and uh, give a shot at uh, doing some of this yourself, either replicating the results or taking a design, a different design tack, a different direction and seeing if you can uh, improve on one thing or another. Um, Rick, Mentioned or somebody mentioned what uh, that you know maybe the SDR cube or in other words any other SDR core SDR radio if if a core SDR radio were being used instead of the FT817 could that control loop be tighter and the answer is most assuredly of course and uh, there is a challenge though that comes about that we solved or at least approached by having a separate radio as an antenna. Uh, as a, a as a sampling and a receiver, um, it's tough to have a a transceiver, a single rig transceiver, be both transmitting and receiving at the same time. Although there are, there are some tricks that could be done, but uh, but even with something like the SDR Cube or the SDR to Go or the uh, uh, any of the Flex radios radios you'd be able to do some of these techniques more built into the control circuitry of the SDR rig itself. So yeah, that's a great opportunity there too. But we would really encourage you to to take these results and move them on forward, and most importantly, come back and tell us. We'd love to hear some reports, some improvements, and of course any questions that you might have uh, back to us either in band right here, or if you're listening in the podcast, to send it back to uh, uh, to Joe or myself, and we'll be glad to to answer it. So as we're wrapping up here tonight, are there any questions about tonight's presentation that maybe we can amplify on later on, or to uh, uh, to answer your question right now?
2: Well, I wonder what you guys think of another type of loop design, getting away from the computer aspect of things. In uh, one of the Sprats, there was a GM3 UWX, Jim Sterling, who came up with what he said was a design close to the original U.S. Army design. I didn't double-check whether that's true or not. But what he came up with was a magnetic loop, which for 40 meters was 26 inches on a side, because that's what he could fit into his car, and made up out of uh, wire threaded through uh, PVC tubing. But what was unusual about it is that the tuning was not, A closed loop of the type that we are talking about here with a capacitor across the uh, open end, but what is basically a pie net? The transmitter feeds one end of the loop and a thousand picofarad capacitor going to ground. The other end of the loop has a 300 picofarad capacitor going to ground as well, and that first uh, thousand picofarad capacitor optionally has. Several thousand other picofarads available, uh, switchable, in order to bring the thing into resonance. Uh, it's still a magnetic loop because of the size, but it's a completely different idea. And I'm planning to give this a try at some point. This was Sprat One Thirty Nine, by the way.
1: I'll have to look that up. I'd not seen it. Um, one of the one of the issues is. Uh conductor diameter, and if the if the loop is only 26 inches around, you'd need a multi-big, multi moo multi, boy, very big uh, conductor diameter. Um, many of these use coax, half-inch coax, and, and the braid there is lossy. The other thing is uh, uh, tuning capacitors, unless you're using a split stator capacitor, there is an awful lot of uh, uh, loss in the the where the plates are connected, and particularly in the stator, um, the stator uh, connections it's a sliding connection, and that loss can really predominate in a loop. Um, there's some stuff in uh, in the references section of our uh, uh, of our paper here that talk about uh, trying to measure some of those losses, but uh, the Army loop particularly really suffered from uh, the sliding contacts in traditional tuning capacitors. Uh, unless you use something like a, um, a vacuum variable, uh, the losses there are probably going to be far lost than the loss in the conductors.
2: The difference here, though, is that the capacitors one side of the capacitors, uh, presumably the rotor, uh, is connected to ground. Uh, both uh, both capacitors connect to uh, the the ground of the transmitter, and uh, I would imagine looking at this without doing a complex analysis, which I'm incapable of, uh, that the current through the capacitors is rather small under this uh, c- uh, circuit.
1: It's still part of the high Q resonant circuit, so I think the. Uh... Uh, ground be damned! Uh, it still has to th- flow through the loop, so I'm afraid the uh, um, though the current is probably less. I, I suspect that uh, well, current is higher actually in a high capacitance thing. I suspect that it's still part of the circuit, and uh, uh, if you do an equivalent circuit, the losses will still uh, still have the same effect.
2: Well, yeah. If the capacitor is handling any kind of signal, and if the capacitor is lossy, it's going to have a resistance. The question is how much. I don't know. It's 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 something I hadn't uh, run into before, so it's worth worth uh, checking out. I think.
1: Yeah, it it might also be worth uh, doing an AB test, which was like we did with the MFJ. Uh, we did that to try to validate things, and uh, you know we, you can often get a quick answer as to. Whether or not you're on the right track by doing something like that might be something interesting for you to try.
2: Yeah, if I run into four or five hundred dollars for an MFJ loop, sure,
0: borrow <laughs> one. All right, okay, think, thanks, guys. I think Nick had a question as well when we uh, when we last opened it up. Well, one more question, Nick. Oh, Nick, 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 you still don't have audio. I think that was the same problem he had before. Okay, I guess no audio tonight for Nick. We'll catch you next time, Nick, or send us an email. Um, any other questions before we close you down tonight? What was the effective gain of the uh, antenna?
1: Well, it's less than the dipole. Because it uh, it transmits over a wider surface area. It's uh, at least several dB below a dipole. Um, so, you know, that's that's just the way a loop is.
0: All righty then. Well, Joe, thanks a lot for the uh, good, uh, good stuff here tonight. And I hope everybody enjoyed uh, the material that we had to present. And we've got... An idea for next week's uh, presentation and next week's session and uh, we'll we'll put a a note on to the uh, Yahoo group for that one if you have not yet signed up uh, subscribed to the Yahoo group please do so I have only received maybe about seven or eight um, people's requests so far so if you want to stay in tune with some of the activity and discussion that we will have definitely between each week's session that's where it's going to be. And we might be discuss- continuing to discuss uh, uh, this topic here. We might bring on some others, we might be able to form some uh, uh, subcategories that will be able to kind of track progress on different projects along the way. We have a lot of vision that we are eager to get implemented here with this whole concept of the uh, online, live, interactive ham radio magazine for homebrewers and QR peers everywhere. And that's what you've been listening here to tonight. Chat with the designers. Thank you all for tonight's, attending tonight's session. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Bye-bye now. Please tune in next week for the next session of Chat with the Designers.